Welcome to the Point of Convergence podcast. I am your host, Grant Lira. Get ready to sit down, tune in, and implement. Remember, the knowledge you learn here and anywhere else in your life is only worth something to you if you use it. So get implementing after this episode and enjoy. All right. Welcome back to the Point of Convergence podcast. Today, we are joined by Andrew Cagnetta of Transworld Business Advisors. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. I cannot complain. And uh, you and me both actually just got some traveling done, it sounds like. Yeah, it was good to get back out there and go see the world, go visit my daughter. I saw some franchisees as well. So uh, just talking business out there as well. It was good. Right on. Right on. Anytime you can get out of the, uh, the home station, you know, for work is always a bonus. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good at, to go out there, even with this increased Zoom capabilities. Uh, there's nothing like being able to spend time with people face to face. Totally. And I think so much of us have like gotten used to the Zoom thing and maybe even a little bit burnt out when you actually talk to somebody in person for business. It's like super refreshing. Like, you're like, wow, this is awesome. I enjoy this. Yeah. I just had a meeting today with a client and it was you know, first time we had seen each other in a while and it was great. It was great to have her in the office and, uh, you know, talk face to face. There we go. Rock and roll. So Andy, please give us an update of what's going on with your business right now. Where are you at? I mean, we're busy. Uh, you know, the business brokerage business, which I'm in, you know, we help people buy and sell businesses. Um, so, you know, I started, my first kind of hat is that, you know, I operate the Florida offices, uh, here and we, buy, help people buy and sell business. So we're very busy right now. It's a, it's truly a seller's market. Lots of people wanting to buy businesses, a lot of money on the street. Uh, so we're seeing an increased activity over the first quarter. And then of course, uh, 10 years ago, I started my franchise and I'm CEO of that company. And we have seen an increase in people wanting to buy our franchise, mostly because, you know, if people are, like success. So they, uh, you know, kind of flock toward it. So there's a lot of people interested in trans world, opening their own trans world offices across the country. And like, just like Florida, our franchisees offices are very busy these days. And we've seen an uh, increase in the amount of businesses we're selling, but you know, what's been interesting over the pandemic is the increased in the value of the businesses have skyrocketed. And I think, uh, we're seeing that in the home, you know, in the home relocation business as certain areas of the country that the home prices are increasing as well. So that's interesting. So you're saying right now, like there's quite a few people who are looking to exit their business or sell their business. No, there's actually not a lot of people. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of people looking to buy. So it's a seller's market. The sellers have the upper hand. Uh, I I think more people are coming to the market now. Uh, I think people, once their businesses have started to recover, people, you know, uh, the business, uh, even the hospitality businesses, they just don't want to go through something like this again. A lot of baby boomers out there and saying, finally, yeah, it's enough. You know, now that the COVID crisis is kind of waning. Uh, it's certainly not over, but it's it's certainly getting close to being over. Uh, people are saying, yeah, it's time for me to go. Yeah. And that's interesting because I feel like what you're saying, you know, with like the people who are up there in age and are looking, you know, not to probably do this for much longer. I think COVID was definitely like a nail in the coffin once they recovered from that and they were able to keep operating saying, hey, 
I'm done. Let's give this to somebody else. Cause I don't want to deal with something like that again. Yeah. They took their PPP money and, you know, and they, and they applied it wisely, kept them in business. Now that their business is recovered and it's looking good. They're like, yeah, I'm not up for the next, you know, I'm not up for the next crisis. And a lot of the business owners we're talking to went through the 2009, 2010 economic downturn. So, you know, we're kind of the, uh, generation of people that have been through two major economic crises in the matter of a decade. Uh, so it certainly has waned and, you know, certainly burnt out a lot of uh, small business owners. Yeah, definitely. And along with that, I want to talk a little bit about Transworld. So tell me, you know, what's, what's your story? How did you get into Transworld? You know, where did that fall in line? When did your entrepreneurial spirit kind of spark? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I don't know why. I think it might've been because my dad had a corporate job. He was an engineer. And uh, I think I heard him complain enough at the dinner table that I'd never wanted to work for someone. So I, you know, got my entrepreneurial spark. I mean, literally, you know, delivering newspapers, selling uh, coffee on the uh, gas lines of in the gas crisis of 1970s. Now I'm dating myself. So, so uh, you know, when I graduated college, I kind of opened my own business and I kind of fumbled around with a few different types of business in the cell phone industry. I sold guitars for a while. I, uh, so I sold uh, and I had a pasta shop that we bought and sold in Connecticut. So it was the first time that I'd been in business where I actually bought something, ran it for a little while and sold it. And I did it with a few cousins and it was a lot of fun. It was a small little business, but the idea of buying a business uh, and it making money immediately and selling it was a lot more palatable than the days when I tried to start my cell phone business, when I tried to sell guitars as an independent rep or when I, you know, so I'm like, wow, that was a lot easier. So when my wife and I decided to move to Florida, I decided to buy a business. And I had bought and sold a pasta business in Hartford, Connecticut without a broker because I didn't know what a broker was. And then when I moved to Florida, there was all these business brokers and I started visiting them. And it was like being in a used car sales room with most of these guys, except I went to Trans World one day and the owners, Don and Bonnie, very nice people, he was an IBM executive for 30 years. She was an amazing business broker and they invited me in and it felt like family. So I joined the firm and two years later, I bought the company. And so I bought the company. We were one office, six people. We put some more tools in place. We expanded throughout the state of Florida, raised some capital along the way, long story. And then in 2010, we said, well, how do we get out of Florida? You know, we're going through this economic downturn. We've grown to 10 offices here in Florida, but how do we get to Atlanta? How do we get to Charlotte without getting on planes and flying around the country? We said, let's franchise. So we looked into franchising and I said, we can't do this. And so the attorney we were working with said, well, if you're not going to do it yourself, why don't you work with the United Franchise Group? So we went to United Franchise Group, which owns brands like Sinorama and Fully Promoted and The Great Greek. And so at the time, they were kind of thinking about business brokerage. They had a, a small business brokerage franchise started. And so we decided, hey, let's just put it together and let's, you know, roll Transworld out across the world. And they, you know, that's what we've done together. It's been amazing. 
So that's that's interesting. And I want to I want to side note on something real quick. Um, hearing about you, you know, running your pasta shop and then running it with your cousins, uh, probably one of the most Italian things I've heard on this podcast so far. So <laughs> like to hear that. But then secondly, when well, you I got, got a bigger one for you, too, but we'll talk about it in a minute. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that. Now, when you when you bought and sold that business, because you said you did it without a broker, what would you have gained from a broker, uh, you know, looking back at that situation? Because I'm sure there's a few listeners out there who don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of, you know, selling uh, companies and using brokers for that. So I want to hear, you know, in your position now, what you think you could have gotten out of it in addition without or excuse me, with using the broker. Yeah, with using a broker, there's no doubt we would have gotten more money for it. Uh, it's, you know, I look back on that experience and it was a small little business. We wound up selling it for $65,000, I think it was. There's no doubt it was worth 100 grand. Standing still it was worth 100 grand, if not more. And I just underpriced it. I just had no idea how to price a business at the time. We had bought it for 45, which was a really good deal at the time. And so I probably could have sold it for much more than I wound up selling it for. And, but I just didn't know the market. I didn't know how to sell a business. I just put an ad in the paper. I feel like how, how would you, you know what I mean? Because if you're looking at, let's say your own business and valuing your own business without having somebody who does that as a profession, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even know where to start to value their own business. Yeah. I mean, these days there's a lot of things online. There's value calculators, even Transworld as a value calculator on our website. Now it does a decent job, but it gives you a very big range (laughs) because, you know, valuing a business is an art, not a science. And so the same business in two different cities can be worth completely different, completely different amounts of money. And a business uh, located next door to some, another business can be worth lots of money based on industry, based on longevity, based on earnings. I mean, so there's a lot that goes into to valuing a business that, you know, even today is it's not an exact science. Interesting. So I guess looking at it from that aspect, because I wasn't familiar with that. Now you have one company valuing a business at X dollars and another at Y dollars. I guess how do you guys kind of make sure that what you're what you're valuing these businesses at is accurate, but also because I know you have to work on like a, a, a margin somewhere in there, like you're not going to get the exact dollar amount. So how do you kind of calculate that as close as you can? You know, there's a lot of ways to value a business, but one of the most accurate ways these days is thank God for the internet. Again, we've been keeping data on mm-hmm. those sales now for, you know, the better part of uh two decades, over two decades, uh, about two decades online, I guess. So for two decades online, we've had the, that data now pour into certain databases, uh, deal stats, which used to be called Pratt stats, and there's biz comps and there's peer comps that gets uh, their comps from uh, the SBA loan uh, that, that have been made on small businesses. So there's lots of data out there and you could get pretty close to what your business will be worth. Now, that being said, a business is worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. So, you know, you could have done a valuation based on comps right at the beginning of the COVID crisis in 2020 of March, and no one would have bought your business. I mean, everybody was scared, didn't know what was going to happen. So nobody would have bought your business. Three months later, there there could have been an unemployed person that would pay 
one and a half times what it might have been worth at the beginning of the COVID crisis or even in 2019. And today, you know, we're, we're seeing business values skyrocket because businesses are doing extremely well coming out of the COVID crisis where there may be less competition because other businesses have closed. So um, even though valuing a business, you know, you could get those comps, those comps can change based on, you know, local, and then you have some economies here in the United States where people are leaving because they feel like that, that there's not an advantageous tax reason to stay in somewhere like New York city. And then there might be population gaining places like Florida and Texas because of their preferential tax treatment. So there's a lot of kind of movement out there in the world that might drive values higher in Florida and lower in other places. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. So that, that's really interesting because something I've always said um, in my own business and also, you know, talking to people is data makes you money. And if you're not tracking anything, you don't know one, how much money you're making. But in your case directly, if you wouldn't have tracked and be able to look at all that data, that spread of data, you would be basically guessing, you know, educated guessing at what the businesses would be worth because you can compare like this business sold for X dollars and this one's very similar. So it should sell around here. So that's cool. You guys basically just look at data along with other things within the business to make sure that the appraisal you're giving is the most accurate as possible. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, and there's a lot of things, trends, you know, if the business is on its way up or on its way down, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could look at, uh, you know, competition in the local area. I mean, there could be a lot of things that affect the valuation very quickly. That's, you know, why businesses don't sell for like incredible multiples because it is a risky endeavor. But at the same time, I do think businesses, buying a business is probably one of the most undervalued investments out there in the world. Uh, buying a business and being able to make your money back in say two, three, four year time. And we're talking small businesses, not multi-million dollar businesses, but small businesses um, it is an incredible payback uh, comparative to, to things like trying to invest in, you know, anything like bonds and you know, the stock market's pretty hot these days, but you know, who knows how long that'll last. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at that, you said something interesting there. A lot of people I've had on here have always talked real estate, you know, buy real estate, get that passive income. Now in your eyes, because you've seen the inside of your industry, would you rather buy real estate or businesses if you're starting to, you know, grow your own wealth and that own income? Listen, I think real estate is a great play because, you know, it's kind of the long game and supposedly nobody ever loses the money when they invest in dirt. Now, I think you can, I've seen people do it. Certainly in the 2009 and 10, uh, people were buying condos and all kinds of things and they lost everything. So, uh, you know, real estate does, as we say, eat, you know, it costs you money to own real estate. So uh, you have to make sure that, you know, you, especially income producing uh, things uh, these days. So, just like on a pure commercial real estate play, you're looking at a five time cap rate these days, 5% cap rate, maybe 7%. So up to 10, used to be a 10% cap rate. So that's a 10 time multiple. And a 5% cap rate is a 20 time multiple. I just told you, you could buy a business for two or three times. I mean, just the comparison. Now, 
you have to operate those businesses. They're not passive income. Uh, I don't know that any real estate really is passive income yeah. either. Uh, you have to work at it. But as far as being able to leverage uh, into real estate may be advantageous as well because banks do lend on it. But buying a business as a, as your primary source of, of wealth creation is, again, probably one of the best things you could ever do, especially if you're, you know, if you believe in yourself and you're, you know, you have the ability to work uh, hard and, and put effort in. I, you know, I go ahead. No, no, please. No, I was just going to say, I always told people, listen, if you buy a good business, something that's been in business for a while, and you do the right thing by the customers, you just go in there, you're a good person, you do the right thing by customers, you have a fair product at a fair price. I don't know how you aren't successful, especially if you're in a place where there's population gain. So you're not being crowded out. Your 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 customer base isn't disappearing. It's actually increasing. You know, you could do very well. So you you said something interesting there, Andy. When you're looking at these businesses, because you can look at all the data, you can look at everything else, but the off-paper things, right? Like for instance, do you guys ever look at like the CEO and see what that person's like and see if there's any uh, good things or red flags about that person? Does that ever factor into the appraisal of the business? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that could be an opportunity too. I could, oh, the, the, what popped into my mind when you said <laughs> this was this sandwich shop in Jacksonville that we've sold a number of times, but the, the, the one original owner who kind of made it famous was, was belligerent. I mean, <laughs> like yelled at his customers. And uh, so I think that was an opportunity for the next person to come in and be perhaps as flamboyant, <laughs> but perhaps be a little nicer. Uh, you know, and so I remember I went there for a sandwich and I said, he said, what do you want? I said, uh, I'll take a tuna fish sandwich. He goes, you don't want tuna fish. <laughs> okay. I don't want tuna fish. What do I want? You want a steak sandwich? You want a cheese steak? I'm like, okay, today's cheese steak, I guess. So, so that's, that's interesting because, you know, I have some, uh, I have some friends and they, they buy businesses, uh, or they invest in businesses as well. And what they always say is they're looking at, they don't necessarily care as much. They still care about the business, but they look at that person. And if that person believes in themselves and they believe in that person uh, who's running the business, that's like a huge thing. They'll basically just say, hey, this guy's legit. I like him. I know he's good for it. I'm going to invest in his business. Do you guys do any investing or are you just strictly buying and selling? No, we're just, we're, we don't invest in our businesses. You know, we're just a broker. We're here to help people in and out. Uh, so it's almost a conflict of interest in investing in it. But uh, not that has some business brokers haven't in the past gotten involved in some of the businesses, but very infrequently. Now, for the most part, we're working with buyers who want to buy a business and they're looking to usually replace an income, right? So they come down um, and, you know, the, the, the typical story here in Florida is they came from maybe another country like Venezuela or they came from, uh, if you're in Orlando, we have a lot of people coming from England over here from London. They come to live in Orlando or if you're, you know, they, they're people that are coming down from Canada or, or New York and they're looking for to replace an income. I need $100,000. I need $200,000. And so, you know, we're helping them decide on what business would be good for them. 
and there's all kinds of businesses. And of course, you know, we do work with companies that are looking to buy other companies. We have landscaping companies that go around to do like mini roll-ups. They, they go out and buy companies. We have medical uh, practices that buy other medical practices. So we do have some strategic buyers buying things. But for the most part, it's just everyday entrepreneurs looking to maybe leave corporate America where they're locked into some sort of salary structure and have a business where they can build it to, to create more wealth for them and their family. Totally. And then circling back to something you said earlier too about franchising, right? Because I feel like a lot of people hear franchising, they know what it is, but to start their own franchise, I feel like is extremely confusing. I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork within that. What was your process like when you guys actually started that? So one of the things you want to do when you start a franchise is you have to have a good biz- business model, right? And you have to have enough of margins to for to and be able to create enough value so people can pay your royalties. So that's number one. So you have to have a good business model. So once you have a good business model, the second thing we usually like to see before we tell someone that they can start a franchise is they open up a second location, right? It's not just the location where the the invested dynamic business broker is. That business model is so good that they could teach someone else to run it somewhere else. And, and so once that happens, then we're like, aha, this might be something that could be franchise. Now that doesn't always happen where they don't have they have the second location, but that's certainly a great indication that it's going to work. And what we do at Transworld is we'll sit down with someone with our partners at United Franchise Group, and we have a division that will sit down with them called Accurate Franchising. We'll sit down with them, go over their business model, give them a whole idea, and then we could create all the franchising docs, get them registered. And it's a, you know, it's a, a very reasonable package to go out and do that. And then you're in the franchise business, which is a whole different business in the world as well. Very competitive. Uh, but if you have a good business, uh, franchising is very, very hot, as you, as you know. I mean, people want it and then people are looking for the next Orange Theory, the next Dunkin' Donuts, the next McDonald's. People want to kind of jump on that train, the next Serve Pro, the next, you know, Massage Envy. They, because the people who bought into those systems and have multiple units are making a lot of money. Yeah. So essentially not always necessary, but something you strongly recommend for somebody looking to franchise is it, in, in a word, repeatable success, right? Moving that location somewhere else, just kind of as like a proof of concept, like, Hey, this works here and it works here. So why wouldn't it work over here? Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, gotcha. listen, I even had to deal with that in the beginning. We had a very successful Florida, fran- you know, Florida franchise home office. And then we were bringing franchisees on in the beginning. And it's like, we think this only works in Florida. That only works in Florida. And, you know, we heard that over the years. And, and, and so that's not the truth anymore. You know, now we have wildly successful people in all over the United States, you know, Houston and Denver and, you know, we've built some incredible of Minnesota. I mean, you know, you can't just say it doesn't only works in warm weather too. Minnesota is one of our best franchisees. Uh, so we, we've certainly seen uh, that uh, success, you know, even go overseas. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, my partner, Ray Titus, talks about when he took Sinorama to Australia and they said, well, we don't do it that way here in Australia. And he's like, well, okay, why don't we just try it? And, and they were talking about going door-to-door sales. It's like, we don't do door-to-door sales. And it's like, well, maybe you should. And, you know, now Sinorama in Australia has been doing door-to-door sales forever. So that's, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like that thing, you know, you don't know unless you try in some places you have to try and you'll succeed others. Not so much, but that's part of the, the process of that. Now, Andy, I want to do something here. Is it cool if I run three different scenarios by you so we could kind of walk through how you'd handle each of them? Sure. Cool. So the first scenario I have very successful business owner, right? Been doing it for a while. We have proven success. You know, we're making quite a bit of money. I want to, I want to exit. I want to sell the business. What's my steps? What should I be looking to set up in my own business so that when you guys, you know, I reach out to you guys and we sell the business that it's all, all ready to go. How do you prepare and prime yourself for actually having that sale? Well, that the number one thing uh, is to have good books and records. So making sure that your balance sheet and your P&Ls are in good shape, uh, making sure that you have a great relationship with the CPA and making sure uh, we talked about data earlier. So the better CRM system, the better point of sale system uh, that you have in a business, if you have all that clicking, that is going to make my life and the buyer's life and their due diligence a lot easier. So that makes your business very saleable. Once you have decent books and records and you could prove the income that you're making, that's great. Now there's lots of people who ruin that by trying to do some aggressive tax strategies that may or may not be legal. And so that's number one. Number two is uh, you want to be growing before you sell. You certainly do not want to be winding down your business because People are going to draw a line out in the future. A business is worth what it's going to make in the future to a buyer. If you are revenue and profits are dropping currently, they're dry, that arrow is going down. Your value is exceedingly going to go down. If you're if you if you're steady or at least steady, or you're growing at the clip of you know five to twenty five percent, you know then the business value is going to be much more. So that's kind of the two things. You kind of be, kind of be at peak performance uh, and you have to have all your KPIs and all your P&Ls and balance sheets kind of in, in a good place. Well, that's cool. So listening to that too, like when you're selling your business, people are looking more at trends rather than current revenue, right? They're looking to see if you're going up, if you're going down, if you've been staying the same for a while. Very important, very important to the bankers. So the mm. SBA actually will not lend on businesses, usually not lend on businesses that have declining revenues. So, you know, that that right there uh, with the SBA program now, you know, lending up to $5 million per business, uh, that is a, a very lucrative way for a business owner to, to be able to cash out. So, okay. the but the other thing is, a quality and quantity of earnings drive multiples. So quality, I just talked about that. You have your KPIs, your balance sheets are shining. The quality of the earnings are going up. Uh, you, you don't have one major customer. That's 90% of your sales. Uh, the quantity is if you make, say, $100,000, your business may be worth two times. If you make 
$250,000, your business may be worth three times. If you make half a million dollars, it may be worth four times. If you make a million dollars, it's worth five times. If you make $2 million, it would work, you know, six to eight times. So as the quantity of the earnings goes up, so do the multiples. So that's kind of what you want to do before you sell your business. The first scenario is you're doing great. Well, how great? If you're doing a million bucks, we're going to get a lot of money for your business. So interesting. Okay. So it's like it, it multiplies the more, you know, quantity you have that that's really cool. That's good to know. Now within that too, you said banks usually won't land on somebody going down. What about if you've been, you know, running your business, it's been going pretty good for, you know, a few years, you have some proof under your belt, you have clients, but for the last maybe year or so, it's just kind of, you know, staying steady. You're not really growing, but you're not declining either. Is that a scenario where you guys would feel comfortable kind of helping that person sell the business or what does that look like? Yeah, well, we're, we're we're comfortable helping them if it's going down too. It's just a different story about how it's going to be financed and what the price is going to be. At the end of the day, the market is going to tell you what's going on. Yes, we are comfortable working with someone who's steady. And listen, just like you said before, uh, with the people who want to invest in businesses passively, the people who want to invest in the business actively and operate the businesses, the operating partners are willing to hear stories too. I mean, we we have all the stories in the world. I mean, people get sick, uh, terminally sick, and the business is going to tail off or or stay steady because the employees are running it by themselves. I mean, there's a lot of stories out there in the world and stories are okay. And banks, you know, if something went down, say somebody got sick uh, or COVID, I mean, they're, the banks are not even looking at 2020 numbers anymore they're, because- the COVID crisis, for good or bad, we have a business that did better in 2020, and they won't look at those numbers. So they're based in the valuation on 2019 and 2021 numbers. Interesting. So they're because because I mean, COVID was such an anomaly. You know, it's very very out there, and then they're not looking at that because like that's not something predictable. That's not something that we can concrete look at and say, oh yeah, well, this business is doing good. Uh, you could have been in the, I don't know, like personal protection, you know, the masks and stuff industry. And obviously your, your business would have looked like that, but that's not indicative of uh, overall success. Yeah. I had a printer. I had a printer that was, um, did well in 2020 because they were able to get their hands on masks and they went out and hand sanitizer uh, because they sold the promotional specialties anyway. And they, they got their hands on a supplier and they did very well in 2020 at the beginning because they were able to sell that PPP, uh, PPE, excuse me, PPP is a whole nother story. I think I said PPP earlier too. So. I, I don't know. I, I did it. So PPE. And so now, oh, here we are in 2021, the revenues are down from 2019. And I actually told them, I said, guys, you, and, and they did a lot of printing for the event business. So think concerts, think open houses for realtors. And just think during this pandemic, people weren't handing out paper menus. People aren't handing out menus. So the question, you know, so that stuff will come back. I mean, it'll come back on some levels. Uh, so they had to wait. They're going to have to wait. Interesting. So I want to talk this too, because your business is, is, in my opinion, a pretty unique industry. So when you guys are looking to buy businesses or help, excuse me, help sell businesses sure. with that, are you guys getting most of those leads inbound? Are you ever prospecting to find those leads or how does that structure work? No, of course. I mean, that's probably the number one thing we do. You know, we go out there and help you and 
find people to, you know, that want to sell. I mean, that's our game right now. We're looking for people to find people to sell. So yeah, we're constantly out there looking for, uh, you know, online, uh, digital marketing. Uh, we're certainly out there. We have social media campaigns, uh, because we're trying to get the awareness out that this is a great time to sell your business. Now, if we have someone that, excuse me, is willing to buy a, you know, a certain kind of business like landscaping or insurance. Yes. We're going directly to those businesses and asking them if they want to sell. Cool. So with that too, um, not, not as related to this topic, but something I definitely want to talk about with that. Have you noticed you've had good success in some industries, some niches and not so, you know, not so much success in others, or is there like trends, not even right now, because like you said, 2020, 2021 is like kind of a, a weird time, but have you noticed like some industries are doing way better in terms of them actually selling their businesses than others right now in general? Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, you know, listen, technology is, is, is incredible. Uh, I was looking at a list of SPACs, special, you know, uh, acquisition companies, right? So they, uh, I read through, there were 60 new SPACs and I read through 40 profiles before I got the one that didn't say technology. Wow. So they're all investing in technology. So of course, any technology business is going to be hot right now. So that sector is usually hot. The insurance, anything that's recurring revenues, insurance agencies, accounting practices, uh, those things seem to do very well. You know, the things that are harder to sell sometimes are, um, you know, sometimes the small blue collar businesses, uh, you know, that might be being replaced uh, like limos. Uh, you know, we used to sell a lot of, you know, taxis and limo businesses uh, and they went by the wayside. Now, all of a sudden, here we are, uh, they're coming back. Uh, medical transport businesses are big, uh, you know, and uh, private private limos. We even we've sold a couple of those, but certainly not at the level they used to be. Right on, right on. And Andy, we're coming up on time here, brother. So I want to let you uh, kind of have free reign here. Let us know where to find you. Let us know where to uh, contact you if we want to sell a business. Let us know, you know, wherever we can. If you got anything else going on, let us hear it. Yeah, so I, I did promise you that that the most Italian thing you, you hadn't <laughs> heard that yet. So, you know, 20 years ago, I started a charity event for uh, the local soup kitchen I was on the board of, and I invited my friends and family because I had the pasta there. I could cook for a lot of people, so I invited them over to soup kitchen to check out the new facility we had built and uh, cook for, I don't know, 30 people. We raised like 500 bucks. Uh, fast forward 20 years. We're having our 20th anniversary Andy's Family Pasta Dinner, uh, andyspastadinner.com, if you ever wanted to check it out. Next year in February, we'll be back in person, but we've raised almost $2 million over that 20 years. The last time we had it in person, we raised about $260,000. Uh, we had 1,000 people there. It's become an incredible event. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not just me anymore, of course. It's my family. It's my friends. And we all come together once a year to help those who are less fortunate than us to eat. Uh, and that's what LifeNet for Families, the benefactor of the Andy's Family Pasta Dinner, they get the money. So that's what's going on there. Uh, that's the most Italian thing you probably heard. About, 
I was about to say you beat it. That was, that was pretty Italian. So, uh, but you know, at trans world, we're just busy. Listen, we have the deal board podcast, the deal board podcast.com. You could check us out there and learn more about buying and selling businesses. You can come to our website, tworld.com to learn more about what we do at trans world. Uh, feel free to ping me anytime on LinkedIn. I'm certainly always willing to talk to someone about buying and selling businesses. You know, listen, we want to do good deals for good people, right? So all, you know, I'm always here to help uh, people who have an idea or just want to get an idea of what businesses are, uh, you know, what their business might be worth out there. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Andy, thank you so much for hopping on, brother. Uh, I think we got a lot of value out of this podcast. And if there's nothing else uh, that you got for everybody, we'll cut it there. That's good. Thanks. All right. Take care, guys.